Hi, this is Bill Cumby. I'm a, a teacher at First Church Ministries in Newport News, Virginia, and we're studying Genesis. And we're making a transition now. We're actually starting to go into the patriarch. So um, let's go open in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the time we have together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the stories contained in your word, um, true stories, um, stories that help us understand who you are better and who we are better too and uh, our problems and our aspirations and our successes and uh, the trials that we face. And Lord, I pray as we um, delve into this on patriarchs and, and what they faced, I pray that it might be um, a message to us about how you love us more and more and how we need to draw closer to you and trust you. We ask in your name, Jesus. So uh, we are in Genesis, and as we, um, as I mentioned, uh, the the key section, uh, the key verse here. So God created man in His own image, in the image of God He created him, male and female He created them, and um, th that's actually part of a prologue. And uh, Genesis was given to the Israelites right when they were in Mount Sinai. They received the law, the uh, um, the civil, moral, religious laws, but they also received the history of themselves. Now. These histories were probably floating around. We'll talk about that in the next slide. But there were probably sections that were floating around because people like to tell the stories of the heritage and stuff. They probably garbled. And, uh, and, and Moses uh, received this uh, from, from God, and the, the straight version. And uh, I, we can trust these. I, I, and one of the reasons we can trust it is the accuracy of the prologue, uh, the creation story. Um, it is markedly different from any other creation story. It's not mythological. It's, it's presented very straightforwardly. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it, it lines up with science very well as we know it. Again, science continues to change its opinion of what is real and what isn't real and how life really is. In, in 1900, if you believed in plate tectonics that the Earth was sliding, the continents were sliding on, on a mantle, You'd be an idiot today. You'd be an idiot if you didn't believe that. So science changes, but in the broad overview of science, this lines up very well with, with what science uh, is, is teaching. And we don't take our, our understanding from science, but science is given to us by God. God gave us a mind to understand things too. So anyway, the prologue lines up very well. And then we get the, the history of the world, the history of God's chosen people, the story of his purpose, God's purpose, his story, which we call history, it, because of that. That's, that's I, the background, I believe, of that word. And, um, but it is his story, and it's there for us to understand who God is, to love him more, and draw closer to him, and to love other people. So we get in the beginning, Genesis 1-1, and then we get, um, these are the generations of. So, so Genesis is broken into 11 sections. There's a prologue, and there's these 10. Um, these are the generations of, again, uh, uh, these are the generations of, is, is, is repeated twice here, but it's just, it's just uh, open and close of the same, same chapter. So, so uh, uh, we, we get these, these sections here and these first sections up through the flood and right after the flood, the Tower of Babel. And today we are in these generation, the generations of terror. Now, you'll notice that it, terror, it, this is terror. It doesn't have much to say about them because... Really, these are the. This is the breakdown. Tell us a story. You know, we, we talked last week about the fact that um, people love stories, um, and people learn from stories. And Jesus, when he came to Earth, told parables. Now, those were mythological. Those were not mythological, but they were stories 
that, that uh, taught truth and were not necessarily true. These are, this is a history, and we learn from the history too. Jesus was often teaching from the history of Israel about the truth. Um, and so these are the, the stories here, the story of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, and, the, and an ungodly line through Lamech, one who did not seek God. And then the story of a godly line through Seth until Noah, and there were no more godly people left. And so God destroying evil but preserving Noah and his family. And then how, how the earth was populated by Noah's descendants. And then, then there's another genealogy that continues up from the Seth thing about the godly line. And again, I've said before, under, to help you understand, being a, the godly line, ungodly line does not mean that one is, is, uh, is, is um, more righteous than the other in the sense of doing better, having higher morals and stuff like that. Now, God did select that godly line and he did teach them, spent, spent extra time tutoring them and trying to help them understand the, the, the morality and the ethics and stuff like that. But really, the godly line and ungodly line is where your focus is. Are you loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul? And you're in the godly line. If you're doing things on your own, even if you acknowledge there's God and other stuff, but you're doing things on your own, you're not, he's not the source of who you are, then it's the non-godly line. That's, that's the definition I would give you for the godly and ungodly. Today, we're going to be doing the story of Abraham. Now, you saw just before, it was the generations of Terah. And so what happens is every time the line branches, it, it, it has these are the genealogies of, and we'll see that, uh, again, that what happened here is that, um, it, now these are the generations of Terah, and we're going to see that what happened is uh, Terah fathered Abraham. Um, he um, he uh, died. Uh, he actually started, he fathered Abraham and two other uh, brothers and, Abraham got married and, uh, to Sarai, and Sarai was barren, and Terah took Abraham and, his, and, uh, and uh, his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, and they went forth together from Ur of Chaldees to go to the land of Canaan, but when they got to Haran, they settled there. So that's the story. This is a story. The Israelites know this story, okay? Um, but again, it's being codified and, and any misunderstanding is cleared up on this. But this is what happened. He was in Ur of Chaldees and he went up all the way up here to Iran. Now, why didn't he just go straight across to, to Canaan? Well, the Arabian Desert, no one crosses the Arabian Desert. There's some hard packed area here that, that the caravans don't go through that area. They actually route around. And this is called a Fertile Crescent because the rivers are running along here. So he would go through civilized tracks all the way up through here. And then he settled down here, Terah did, and died. And then Abraham, it says, um, well, we'll look at the next section. That's where we ended last week. Uh, but now it says, God, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, let me do some housekeeping here, okay? Uh, we are going to pick up the pace of where we're going through on, on, in, in the story. Um, I hate it, but I'm not going to be reading every word of every passage anymore because we're trying to pick up some speed there. So you really should be having your Bible out reading through some of the things. Uh, but we are going to be reading through a, most of it. And 
uh, we're, I'm actually going to, when I have it up here, actually be bold in and italicizing some areas I want to point out and talk about. Um, so it's going to be a much faster pace and we will slow down on some of these bolded areas. Um, but I'm t just telling you, when we get to Sodom and Gomorrah and, and, and um, Lot and Abram there, it's going to, I'm not going to read that whole narrative. One thing's got a lot of really complicated words in it. Uh, it's names of cities and uh, kings that, that I, I will just stumble over. Um, and also, uh, just, just aside, um, I don't read well. I think when I read and I stumble and I miss words and stuff like that, you really should be reading this on your own. And you really should be, it, 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 there's a um, you, you version you can get that will actually read these sections to you in different, different versions. Excellent way to just listen to the word. Anyway, the Lord said to Abram, now again, that was his name, Abram and Sarai. His name's going to change next lesson. We're going to be talking about that. But right now it's Abram. And uh, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will bl make your name great, and it will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So this is, this is the... This is um, very similar to the key passage I said in Genesis when God created man in his own image. This is the key. These are the key verses. Um, Go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. You will be a blessing. Those who bless you will be blessed, and those who curse you will be cursed, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed. Not just his descendants, okay? So the Jewish nation is a blessing to the world. All right? that's, that's what God said. I believe it. And, and, and um, uh, the mistreatment of Jewish people has no place in Christianity. It just, it is, it's often, uh, unfortunately, Christians have often talked about you know, you know, uh, Christ killers and stuff like that, where really it was the Romans who killed Christ. And, uh, and if we were in the Jewish crowd, we would have been in the Jewish crowd shouting for crucifixion probably too. So it just... We, we, there's blood on all our hands when it comes to the death of Christ. So Abram went with the Lord, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Now, this is his nephew. Lot plays very prominently into the family story, okay? And it's actually a story of, of, a, of uh, a godly man. And Lot was, and Peter says he was a godly man, and him falling to the world, basically, okay? So we're going to talk a little about him in a little bit of time. But Abram was 75 years old, uh, and, he t and he took uh, Lot and Sarai, and they went, everything they accumulated and acquired in Iran, they set out for Canaan, traveled this far, you know, into Canaan, and made a, um, he appeared to Abram again, the Lord did, to your offspring I will give this land. So this is, this is a separate blessing, okay? Um, a great nation, your name great, but the land is, a, is another issue. And we're going to be talking about that probably in the next lesson or the one after that as we get, go through this. But he gave them the land of Canaan. And this is what the Israelites are hearing. They understand that this land was promised to their forefather. Um, and from there he went east of the hills of Beth Bethel and pitched his tent with uh, Bethel on the west of Ai. By the way, Ai comes into um, Joshua. That was one of the cities they, they attacked. Uh, on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called in the name of the Lord. And then Abraham set out and continued towards the Negev. And I'm going to go back to this slide real quick. So, 
So he, he, this is the Negev down here. At the southern. So there's this real big desert peninsula, and then there's a smaller one here. This is between Egypt and Israel today. Actually, Egypt controls it now. Uh, it, it has traditionally. And um, it was during the Six-Day War, the Israelite uh, Jewish nation took it over. And then Ash gave back during part of the peace treaties. But we, this is actually where Mount Sinai is, right down here. When uh, we worked in Egypt for a couple of years, we, had, we were blessed to be able to go out there and actually go to Mount Sinai and, um, and, and actually be in Israel for a week. And it was really exciting. But this is very much a desert, too. So, um, so we're going to leave here, and there's a famine in the land. There's a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because famine was severe. Um, as he, she was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, who is uh, a bit younger than he is, but so she, I think she's 10 years younger, but still 65. Think about this. I know you what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, so I will be treated well for your sake. And my life, and my life will be spared because of you. Now, um, I, he I hesitate to use the word despicable. This was a despicable thing to say. But, but this was a terrible thing for Abraham to say. He was, he was driven by fear. This is a man that God had told to do something, and he did it. And now he's going, because of the famine, he's going to Egypt, and he's afraid. God is, uh, so, but in Abram's defense, he had not yet seen God do anything. Um, and, and this is going to be a problem anyway. This is a, I, I think in a lot of ways, Abram was driven by fear, okay? That was, that was the thing that really hurt him over and over again. And God worked through that. And and, and actually worked to, to get that fear out of him. And uh, this is one of the problems he had. So, so when Abraham came to Egypt and the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman, and when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace, just like Abram thought it was going to be. You know, um, And he treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle and male and female donkeys and male and female servants and camels. So... so He's lying. He's giving to protect his life. Sarah is now in part of the harem, basically, of Pharaoh, and he's getting rich off of it. Okay, um, but the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife Sarai. And so Pharaoh summoned Saint Abram and said, "What have you done to me? Why, why didn't you say? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife?" Okay. And so, you know, why did you say she's my sister? So I took her to be my wife. Now, now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And the Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way. And his wife had uh, his wife and everything he had. Now, um, this I used to always point out when I taught this thing is that that um, that um, who was wrong? Abram. Who got punished? Pharaoh. Okay. It's not quite that simple, okay, because he was probably right. He probably would have been killed, okay? He was wrong to lie. Don't, I'm not trying to... But, but Pharaoh was not innocent either in this thing, okay? So, but as relative, relativity goes and in, in innocence, he was the innocent party. So uh, what I always take from this is that um, God takes care of us regardless. 
God takes care of those he loves regardless. Um, and he took care of them, but there were consequences to this. And there were consequences, I think, in the marriage. Um, there were consequences to the unbeliever, the Pharaoh in this case. Um, and it was not a good thing, okay? But this is the interesting thing. God always takes care of us. God has promised to take care of us. Just as he promised Abram, he'd take care of him. Sometimes we try to help God along. This is an instance of Abram trying to help God along. I, not, not, not that he was trying to help God along as much as he was just not knowing that God would take his side on this. Okay? Um, but I will say this, same problem happens later on to Abram. So it's not just that he has not seen God work. Okay, because we'll, we'll get to that in another lesson, but, but that's what's happening now. So he left, and he's rich, okay? He's, he's super rich, and uh, Lot is with him. If you go on there, so Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, um, and again, they were herders. They pastured in the scrubland, basically, of the desert uh, with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him, and Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. And we're going to, it's going to play into this next section here, what's going on in some of this stuff. So he's a wealthy man, but he's well, his wealth was gathered at the expense of giving away his wife okay, and God intervening in his life. Um, from the, it, there, was, there was stuff in Haran. He said he took his accumulation stuff, but it says specifically in Egypt that he accumulated a lot more there. From the Negev, he went to the, from place to place until he came to Bethel, um, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he first built an altar. Then Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with him, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose um, between Abram's herders and Lot's. And the Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me and between your herders and mine, for if we are uh, close, for we are close relatives. It's not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. So Abram's coming up with a solution. Lot should have been dealing with this. Lot was the junior partner, so to speak. He was the nephew, and he wasn't dealing with it. And Abraham comes. And Abram makes him a very generous offer, okay? So normally, he's, he's, he's elder and senior. He could have chosen the land, okay? But he, 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 in deference to Lot, he says, listen, let's, let's not quarrel about this. You take what you want, okay? Um, and, you know, if you want to go to one side or the other. And so it says here, so Lot looked, and he saw the whole plain of Jordan toward Zor was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan, the whole plain of the Jordan. Okay, the Jordan is the well watered area. Okay, um, the Jordan River, that, that whole floodplain area, very great pasture land, and, and again, agriculture and, and civilization developed around those things. And so he, he's choosing the well-watered land. He leaves, he leaves Abraham, uh, or Abram, excuse me, the, um, the remnants, basically, um, which is fine with, with, with Abram, apparently. 
So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of Jordan and set out towards the east, and the two men parted company. And Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Com. So, so he's, he's not in there yet, okay? But he's starting to pitch his tents closer and closer to the city of Sodom. Um, now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Now I will say this, there are some um, liberal theologians who say this is a mytho mythological story about how God was trying to tell his people to be herdsmen and not live in the city because the cities were evil and technology was evil. This, that sentence disputes that, okay? It says Sodom was evil. It doesn't say cities were evil. It doesn't say technology. It's, it, it's not that, this is not a story about herdsmen and city people. This is a story about evil people, okay, and good people. And so the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram after Lot, Lot parted him, look all around you from where you are, north and south to the east and west, all the lands you see I will give to your, you and your offspring forever. And I will make your offspring like dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust and your offspring could be counted, go and walk through the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, Hebron, where he pitched his tents, and he built an altar to the Lord. Now, God countermands what, what Abram has done. He says, all this land is yours. All of it will be yours. All of it will be your descendants. And you will, you will, um, your offspring will like be the, like the, um, the, the dust, um, he says here, like the dust of the earth. Uh, and if anyone could count the dust, so they should count your offspring. So, so there was this, this promise of a wonderful blessing to Abram's descendants of the land. Okay, this is where I'm taking the shortcut. <laughs> At the time when uh, all these kings went and uh, uh, they, they rebelled, but in the 13th year they rebelled, see that in the dark thing. All these kings, so there's several sets of kings, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah form with some other ones, and there's these other kings that have been paying tribute to this, and they actually rebel, and uh, there, a big fight occurs. And so there's so many, there's so much, uh, there's uh, fighting and people fall, fall into tar pits and stuff like that. And basically they wind up sacking Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities and they take everyone away. Okay. In verse 11, uh, the four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah all the, and all their food and they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Now see, he no longer is pitching his tents in Sodom. He's actually living in Sodom, okay? There's actually, Psalm 1 talks about the one, the people who walk, um, walk in the way of sinners and um, stand in the way of the unrighteous and sit. In the, and so we're going to see the same progression here. There's a, there's a walking, standing, sitting. There's a pitching your tents near God, Sodom. Then there's going to be, he's living in Sodom. When we see Lot again in Sodom and Gomorrah, in the next uh, entries, he's actually sitting in the city gates as one of the leaders. But here he's just, he's just a, a resident, okay? Um, and uh, they carry him away. Um, now, a man who was carried off, uh, uh, a man who had escaped came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now, Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the, uh, the Amorite, the brother of Eskel and Anner, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard this, that his relatives had been taken captive, he called out 
the 318 trained men and his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And during the night, Abram divided his men and attacked them. He routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. And he recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the woman and the other people. So it's several things to, again, to see here. Um, uh, sometimes numbers mean things in Scripture, and sometimes I think they're just numbers. This 318 has been analyzed by many people and come up with the things. I just think it's a number myself that, that is in there that, that it indicates, and this is an historical account. Again, this was probably passed down, and uh, there were alliances being made here. It wasn't, everyone in Canaan at this time was not evil, okay? Sodom, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, they're singled out. And so there's this alliance here, and, and they actually uh, go in, they march through the night, they... they uh, during the night, he divides his men, he attacks them. He went. So Abraham is actually, he seems sometimes afraid. He sees reticence, but he's not that afraid. I mean, he attacked a much larger group. There were several kings there, uh, and he attacked them with probably a much larger group and, and did this. So he, it was not, his fear was not, the, it was not, he was not a fearful man in some ways, obviously. Um, and then Abraham recur- returned from, feed, from defeating Cador Lamor, and the kings allied with him. The king of Sodom came out to meet him at the valley of Shavit. Now, this is interesting. So um, the king got away. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, um, and then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, now I'm going to stop here because there's a lot in here. I'm going to pack this. We're actually going to talk a little about Melchizedek in a bit if you want to listen on after I tie up this, this section. But um, uh, Sodom, he came out to meet him in the Valley of Sheveth. And Melchizedek, now the word Melchizedek uh, uh, is, is Melch, uh, Melcha is like king. So um, uh, he, was, he was king of righteousness. Zedek is a, this is a Hebrew word for righteousness. And he was king of Salem, which uh, Salem is peace. So he was king of righteousness and king of peace. We're going to actually talk about this. But here's an interesting thing. God's taking the patriarch Abram. He's forming him into uh, a nation that will become a blessing to all the earth and uh, the Jewish nation. And here is someone on the outside coming in uh, and blessing Abram, okay? It is very significant. Sometimes, I, I think for several things. Um, number one, we tend to have a very narrow view of God's work. God works with Christians. He doesn't work with unbelievers. And, and, and uh, that, um, that uh, there are two groups, basically, Christians and unbelievers, okay? And uh, don't get me wrong. No one comes to God except through Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They don't always know that name, okay? Abram never knew the name of Jesus, okay? But Abraham is the father of all of we have a faith. Um, and here we have another person outside of, the, outside of the group, so to speak, that is, is a high priest of God. And, and that, this is actually is so important it gets taken up in Hebrews. In fact, a good portion of the book of Hebrews talks about Melchizedek and how this all ties in here. Um, God is working in many different people's lives. Um, I, I remember once I had a, 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 one of my uh, relatives uh, was very devout, 
um, in, in, a, um, in a Christian faith that you might say was dead or, or sterile, and other people would say you couldn't even be a believer in that faith and stuff like that. But it was obvious God was working there. And he and I bonded, and we would talk about what God was doing in our lives and stuff like that. And over the years, he became a believer. Not, not through me. I mean, we, we just talked, but there was, he was, uh, this is, but God worked in his life and he became a believer and he has a strong faith and he's an elder in the church now. And his wife's still in that faith. And, and he waits and prays patiently that she would wake up. Not that, that, not that she would leave that faith because there is life in that faith, but, but that her life is still a mechanical going through the motions type of thing. And so, I want you to understand that God works in different people in different ages. I, it amazes me when you look at Scripture and you look at the Old Testament that you see the book of Job. And the Job, from all indications, was not a believer. And yet the Jewish people preserved that book and put it in that book to help us understand how God works through suffering and sorrow and faith and trust from someone who probably wasn't a believer in the traditional sense of the word. But he was a believer. And so um, I, 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 I hesitate to say that for two reasons. One is people say, well, everyone's believer. We really don't have to share the gospel, but we do. Because people say we, people can't believe what they don't know about. And the fullest understanding is Christ in Jesus and the sacrifice for us. Uh, the Old Testament looks forward to Christ, and the New Testament looks back in Christ. And, and, and Hebrews talks about that. In fact, Hebrews actually talks about the Jewish people saying there was salvation in truly understanding what the law was about, the fact that there was sacrifice that prefigured the ultimate sacrifice. That's what Hebrews talks about. And it also warns them and says, now that you know the truth, because these Hebrews are Hebrew Christians, you can't go back to that old way. So you, so you can't really go back to saying, well, I'd really rather just not talk about that. Jesus, because I just want to talk about God. Well, the book of Hebrews says you can't do that, okay? They're, because it's the saving faith, the person you look to, the, per, the person we love, um, the Son of God, is Jesus. And if you're ashamed of him and embarrassed about him, then there is no salvation in him. Um, so anyway, let's pick this back up again. So uh, Melchizedek blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people and keep the goods yourself. Now, a lot here. Um, blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. So Melchizedek had an understanding of who God was. Total. Most people, the god, their gods were local gods. Okay, there were a lot of gods, and they might believe in an ultimate god, but there were lots of smaller gods who were just out there too. And there wasn't a one god thing. People say, well, yeah, they believed in an ultimate god. They didn't see that god as truly, fully all powerful. There, other gods could have had him, but Melchizedek did. Um, god Most High, Creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who's delivered your enemies into your hands. Um, and, and Abram gives them a tenth. And this is going to get picked up, and we're going to talk about this if you hang on after I finish this section when we talk about Melchizedek, that as he gave, Abram gave him a tenth, uh, and in a sense, all of Israel tithe, basically, to, to this person. So 
here's this, this king of righteousness, king of peace, who has no history. He came from nowhere, and we never hear about him again, except one mention in Psalms, and then it gets picked up in Hebrews. We want to talk about that. And, and uh, it, this is a prefiguring of the Christ, okay? And, and Melchizedek uh, and theologians, conservative or, or liberal, will both say, this is prophet, priest, and king. This is the figure that's prophet, priest, and king. He's a prophet uh, talking about how God will bless Abraham. He's a priest because he, 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 uh, he brings out the bread and the wine, again, a prefiguring of communion, actually, um, that, that um, is, was hidden um, uh, from the, the Jewish people. And then um, he's king. Okay, so, so there's prophet, priest, and king. That comes up over and over again, but Christ is the true prophet, priest, and king. And so this is, this is a pre, prefiguring of Christ in there. Um, now, the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. Now, this is someone trading here, okay? People are, people are capital to this guy. He wants the people, not because he cares about the people, because if he gets the people back, then they can, they can start producing wealth again on the thing, too. Um, uh, and keep everything for yourself. So maybe that's a generous offer, maybe not, I don't know, okay? I'm not real sure that's the point of the story, but, but here you get the answer, and this is, this is something I want to pay attention to. But Abram said to this king, seeing in Sodom, with raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a strap or a sandal, so that you will never be able to say I made Abram rich. And I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share of what belongs to the men who went with me to Aner, Esco, Mamre. Let them have their share. This is a very interesting thing because I think this shows the sensitivity of Abraham to saying what happened in, a what happened in Egypt was a sensitive part for him. He knew he got rich the wrong way. Um, and um, he might have been, you know, he got richer, maybe he was already rich, but wealthy or whatever. Um, but he knows Sodom is not a good place to be. And he knows that it's, there's evil there. And he's going to have to confront that. So maybe he should have confronted it there, then and there. Maybe he should have talked to Lot at that point because Lot was carried away. Um, but apparently he doesn't. So sometimes we see people going into problems and we don't really interfere. And I'm not saying we should interfere, I'm not saying, but to not warn a person. And I don't know that we saw that Abraham did. Now, Scripture does not record things in detail, so maybe he did. But we next see Lot in the gates of the city, um, and things are very bad. So this story ends here with Melchizedek, and this is, uh, again, tell us the story. We're here on the story of Abraham, okay, and we're going to continue that next week. Um, and, and it's, it's a long story. There's lots happening there. Um, I, I'm going to take a, I'm going to just, uh, after we finish the slide, I'm just going to go on and talk about Melchizedek. So you're welcome to uh, hear more about Melchizedek and how he ties in. It's sort of one of those sections that you, if, you, if you're just trying to get through Genesis and understand that, you don't need this. And yet, this, if you want to understand Scripture, and what's going on in this whole passage, I think it's, it's important stuff. So um, I'm going on here to the next section. So you can turn me off now if you don't, you don't want to hear it or watch it later. 
Um, so uh, who was Melchizedek? So this is very interesting. So when we watch movies, okay, um, I, I, uh, I, I, a phenomenon started in, um, I don't know how long it's been going on, probably a couple decades, but, but somewhere along the line, um, producers found that they could hide something in the credits and make people sit and watch for the credit, watch out the credits. And they call them Easter eggs, okay? Because it's like finding something hidden in there. So, so the Bible has Easter eggs. So of course, obviously it has Easter, um, but it has Easter eggs too. So okay, so it has Easter eggs where they're hidden things. So, and and um, you, you, the two Easter eggs that 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 I come back to most are Melchizedek and Jonah. Okay. Jonah says, I'll be in the belly of the well three days and three nights. And, and Jesus picks that up. And it's like, how did he know he was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights? I mean, he didn't have a Timex or anything, you know, and, and, and why, is it, why is that in there? And it's, it's hidden there because Jesus is picking it up. Jonah is a type of Christ in, in good ways. And, and, you know, he's also a picture of who Christ wasn't. And I wouldn't say an antichrist, but it's, that's, it, it, Jonah has images of Christ in there and then images of who Christ was not. And so, but that's an Easter egg. So this is an Easter egg too. Now this is picked up, Melchizedek is not mentioned anywhere else except in Psalm 110. And that's why we know it's an Easter egg, okay? Because if, if it was, if it was in he- just in Hebrews, it got picked up in Hebrews, I would say, Wow, that, the writer of Hebrews is really sort of stretching this. I mean, there's just a little story here, okay? But David, who was prophet, priest, and king also, prophesied, the Lord has sworn, in Psalm 110, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So that story laid hidden there, and who knows if anyone really recognized who Melchizedek was, but David did. I mean, that's the only other mention of Melchizedek in there. And he says, you're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And the Easter egg is this, is that Melchizedek was the prefiguring of Christ. And we see that in Hebrews. So I'm going to go through that um, in, in the Hebrew sections. There's a lot of sections. I have not prepared this. I'm actually... Just, I just extracted the parts of, he, of Hebrews that talks about Melchizedek because, again, I want to show how Melchizedek plays into this, but who Christ was also comes into this too. So for every high priest, now the, uh, we're going to get into this if we go on to the Mosaic Law. There were lots of priests, but there was one high priest, and the high priest was hereditary and held the post till death, of course, they had changed things by the time of Christ a bit, not the right way, but they had done that. But, or, but the, the story was one high priest who was their high priest till death, and, um, uh, and that priest offered sacrifices once a year, Yom Kippur. He would make atonement. He would take two um, uh, goats, and one goat would be sacrificed before and, and blood sprinkled on the altar, prefiguring the blood of Christ cleansing us. And the other one, uh, would be the goat they would lay hands on and confess the sins of Israel and would be taken out. He was a scapegoat. And that prefigures that Christ has taken away our shame. So there's guilt and shame. The guilt is taken away by the one and the shame taken away by the other. The one and the same, but you can't kill. The British have the expression, you can't have your cake and eat it too, which means um, 
if you eat it now, you can't have it later. So, so they have two goats because once you kill that first one, you don't can't have it again. So, so the two goats really represent one thing: Christ. Okay, and Christ, um, the blood spilt for us, and our and and guilt, the sacrifice, and then the shame. Because I tell you this, um, I am glad that Jesus forgave my sins. I mean, I'm super glad. I, I can't express um, my gratitude on that. But I'm even more thankful that he's taken away my shame. And, and, and uh, because it, the promise to me is in eternity, I will no longer sin. It's not this, that I sin, this issue, is that I'm sinful. I'm broken. It's just part of me broken. And I have a promise of that being fixed, too. And so that's, that's, that's a great promise. So there's a high priest. For every high priest is chosen from among men, they act on the behalf of men. It's not chosen by God, by the way. This is not done by lots or anything. This is chosen by God. And it's point to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself has beset with weakness. And that's true. A real, true, good high priest will carry that out, okay? Now, we all know that there are people that are hardened in their self-righteousness, and that was described in the Pharisees at the time of Christ. But that, and that continues through all eternity. I mean, not all time. Through the, the history of this world, it continues. There are always going to be men that are self-righteous and looking down on other people. But a high priest really should have the empathy in there. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have God in you. It also says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That's the Psalm 110 that we just saw. Uh, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he was a source of eternal salvation to all who obey, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, this is a new priesthood, okay? This is not the Mosaic priesthood. This is the order of Melchizedek. And he carries it on that we're going to see here. Um, uh, I want to just comment on he was made perfect. Um, that does not mean that Jesus was imperfect before. This, the word perfect here, teleos, means completion. He was made complete. Um, it, it, it can be perfect, but complete. But it's like, bowl, I, I give the example I give is you bowl, uh, you go bowling, okay? And you bowl nine strikes. Um, you haven't bowled a perfect game yet. You still have to have that 10th frame, bowl those strikes in there to have a perfect game. So, uh, but is your game imperfect to that point? No, okay? So the interesting thing and, and the blessing and the wonder of, of the story is that God incar became incarnate into space-time matrix uh, is Christ, God himself, fully God, fully man, and that he was made perfect through suffering, it says here. And, and we suffer, we suffer, we suffer. And when we suffer, when we suffer looking towards God, we become like Christ. So God is two things. He's giving. He gave his only begotten son, and he suffers. And when we 
enter into that and understand that the suffering we have can be redemptive, not just for ourselves, but for others, um, we understand the suffering of Christ better, which was the full redemption, the, the, the transformation of our lives. Um, so, for when God made this promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to whom he swore, he swore by himself. So this is, he's talking about um, uh, when he blessed him and said, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by someone greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show us more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, uh, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have fled for the fled for refuge, may have strong encouragement to hold fast for the hope set before us. We have a secure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever on the order of Melchizedek. So once a year at Yom Kippur, they, the, the tabernacle, um, the, the, the priests and Levites were in the tabernacle, but only a priest could go into the holy place. And every, every day they went to the holy place and set out new showbread and trimmed the, the wicks and offered incense to God. And that was the holy place. And in the holy of holies, it was a once a year thing. And he's talking about Christ going into the holy of holies, this Yom Kippur. The day Yom Kippur, Yom is day, Kippur is atonement. So the day of atonement is when they went in. And that day of atonement looked forward to Christ. But here we have Christ, the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And he said to Abraham, and, and to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. That's what Melchizedek means. And then also he is king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of days, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Now, if that was in there and Psalm 110 wasn't buried there, I'd say, wow, he's really taken an awful lot out of there. But again, David, as a prophet, said there's a, you will be a priest on the order of Melchizedek. And, and that's, that's the witness of Scripture into the truth of this, too. Um, see how great this man was with whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils? And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have, the commandment, uh, have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though they are descended from Abraham too. But this man, who does not have his descendant, descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And it is beyond any dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In, in the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one to whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who received tithe, uh, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So he's establishing that this priesthood is greater than the Levitical. So, so this is interesting. The Levitical priesthood is being set up at this time. Uh, you know, when the story of Melchizedek, it may have been an added story into the the um, the corpus, the stories floating around. 
But in any case, it was the story that they received as received history at Mount Sinai. At the same time, they received the Mosaic law. And here, here uh, in Hebrews, is talking about the fact that, that the Melchizedek priesthood is greater than, than the uh, uh, Mosaic one. Now, if perfection could have been obtained, if completeness could have been attained by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? See, he's trying to establish now to the Jewish, pe to Jewish believers that they can't go back to this old priesthood because it's an inferior priesthood. There is the true high priestess here. Um, for when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe for which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses had nothing to say about priest. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but the power of indestructible life. In other words, he wasn't born into the priesthood. He, he became one because of the power of an indestructible life. For it is witness of him, you are a priest forever of the order of Melchizedek. For on, for on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of a weakness as uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. I, I will say this one thing real quickly, that we, um, the, uh, the new law, okay, so he said, talks about the new law here. The new law is the two great commands, that we love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and that we love our neighbors, ourselves. Um, I've been thinking about that a lot, and we'll probably come circle back to this in future lessons too. We say we love God, and we say we love our neighbor, but when you really love somebody with all your heart, mind, and soul, that's all you think about. I mean, it's sort of sick sometimes when you're around someone who's just fallen in love with someone, and all they want to, oh, and her hair is so beautiful, and oh, how she walks, and you, know, you think like, oh gosh, lay off it, buddy. But, that, but when you're in that, all, you're all into it, okay? You, you think, and I think, that's not how I am with God. That's the command, but that's not where I am. I, I, I say that's not where I, I understand that. Now, were there times I was more like that? Yes, there was. Um, is it okay to, as the time goes, you get the relationship? No, it's not okay. It, it's not okay for us to just, it's like taking your wife or your spouse for granted. You know, it's like taking your best friend for granted. You, he should be your best, he should be our love. He should be the one we think about. When we go through the day, I don't know if you call your, your uh, the person you love during the day or text him or something like that, but, but he's the one we should be thinking about. He's the one that I don't think we do that. Okay, so, but that's the greater law is what I'm saying here. We think that the great, we, we, have, we have corrupted that greater law in making it actually less than the Mosaic law was. It was greater than the Mosaic law. It was, it, it was more encompassing. It was more... Um, part of our life, who we totally are, and became less. Christ is more than the Mosaic priesthood. And so the law he gave is more too. Not more 
condemning, but more leading us to wellness and to fullness of life in Christ. And it is not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this, this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to them, The Lord has sworn and not changed his mind. You are a priest forever. Again, David uttered this as a prophet. This makes Jesus a guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds the priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it is indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, a holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted from the heavens. He is not, he is not, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins and then for the sins of his people, since he did this once for all who, for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints the son who has been made perfect forever. I'm sorry, I'm thinking about several different things at the same time in here. Um, one thing I, I, I think, um, verse 25 in here. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, so he always lives to make intercession for them. He, he, he is able to save to the uttermost. He will save us. Um, and uh, he, he saves us now. There'll be a future one. There's a past one where he died for us and saved us. There's a current one where he holds us in his hands and arms. And then there's a, and then there's a future one where we will be saved forever. Um, and he didn't have to offer other sacrifices because he was the perfect sacrifice. So what the author of Hebrews is trying to tell the Jewish people here is that Christ is all. He is all they've expected and they can't go back. If they, now they know the truth, you can't find redemption. And he says, he actually says, the writer of Hebrews says, you can't go back to the old way because you're crucifying Christ all over again. Because every time the sacrifice is offered, it, it's, it, you're offering this to take away your sins. You're, you're testifying that you deserve death, but this animal has it in your place. And you're not accepting that Christ has paid that sacrifice. So you're, you're shaming Christ over and over again. You say, I, it's not enough to believe in Christ. I have to offer a sacrifice too. So um, the blessing is this. The blessing is that God buried in Genesis the story for us to see at the end of the ages. And we live in the, every time since the time of Christ is the end ages. I, I think we might be at the end of the end ages, but so did Paul. I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, we, I got that right because we don't know. God said very clearly we don't know. But we are in the end age, the age when Christ is now sits on the throne and rules. So I, I would say this. Um, Abraham was blessed by Christ. Okay? He was blessed by Christ in Melchizedek. Um, he never heard the name Christ, I don't, I don't believe. I mean, maybe people think he got a vision of Jesus. But, and by the way, Christ just means anointed one. Uh, Messiah, same same word, Christ, Messiah, anointed one, all the same. Um, but Jesus, um, 
he is our savior and our best friend and our love and our redeemer, our kinsman redeemer. So we see that in Melchizedek. I didn't want to pass by that because the story is about Abraham, but if you miss the significance of Melchizedek, you miss part of the blessing of Abraham. I'm going to close this in prayer now. Lord, we just thank you for the time we have. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your great blessing in our lives and the fact that you never give up on us. Uh, You're always there for us. Just ask you to be exalted in our lives. And, And Lord, help us love you more and more. And pray in your name, Jesus.